After the mixed reception from Marie Antoinette, for her next film Coppola returned with Somewhere, a production similar in many ways to her breakout hit Lost in Translation, and inspired by the birth of her second child to make a film which explored a more parental angle as the film follows Johnny Marco, here played by Stephen Dorff, who, despite enjoying the fame and success of a newly launched acting career, lives a life which is very much emotionally empty, and while recovering from a broken arm, begins to find purpose for his daughter Cleo, who has just been dumped on him by his ex-wife. The film itself was one of more, the more forgotten films in Coppola's filmography, despite the similar style to Lost in Translation, but was this a case of an audience being bored by Coppola attempting to pull the same trick again, or did something else just not connect with the film? I'm Elwood. I'm Kim. And you're listening to Movies and Tea. Let's take it to the booth. Once again, to uh, Moose and Tea. Tonight we're going to be talking about Somewhere uh, from 2010. As we said, this is probably one of the more forgotten films on the Sofia Coppola's filmography, and a film which was probably one of the films in I watched the most when I was working for the cable company because we were allowed to have the TV on, and I just used to catch up on films there. Because and uh, this film I would like constantly have on in the background because it worked really well without sound because all, all the films we watched had to be with like uh the subtitles on them so i used to watch this film a lot and i think this is one of the films i've only seen a couple of times with the sound including this uh this, watching for this one so i was very interested to see how it flowed because i knew going into this one this it's a little different than Lost in Translation, but at the same time, the style's very there, and it's also got a real sense of, oh, well, this is a really a film about nothing, so <laughs> I, would, uh, I was really interested to see how this one went, Kim, and it's, I think this one was one, what, much like I'm married to now, I was, I was uh, sceptical of, of what you would think of it, because I thought these, these, those were going to be like the two break ones, because... When we look at the films which are going to follow, like Bling Ring and The Beguiled, they're kind of a little more traditional in their sort of style. Um, so, I mean, opening thoughts on somewhere, I mean, what did you sort of think of it? I think that um, this one worked for me quite a bit more uh, than Marie Antoinette. Uh, I I really like, I'm, I, I have a really soft spot for um, movies about father and daughters. Uh, so this one really, really worked for me. On my side, I actually think that they didn't have enough about the father and daughter. There was a little bit too much of, like, that first bit about him being emotionally empty over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And there's only so many pole dancing shots I need to see before I'm a bit fed up. Um, yeah, so, I mean... It's it's a, it's a it's good, though. Like, this one has a lot of, like, more of an... I guess it's more of like an 
art house, really like art house style. I can really feel that loss in translation thing, but it is a different angle. I wouldn't say it's about nothing. It's still about like a slice of life um, in a person, um, in this case, you know, Johnny Markle. I think that there's a lot more here in terms of storytelling because it's, it's about, you know, when when it's about a father and daughter, it's not just like this relationship is now and it's going to stop for the rest of your life. Like, you know, Lost in Translation, where it's, you know, you can assume that that's only, you know, a week in this person's life and they're probably not going to see this person again. Certainly with this one, we get to see a character certainly grow. Certainly in the case of Johnny, I mean, as you said already, once he, when he's introduced, we get a good 30, 40 minutes of just how you know, vacuous and empty his life is. I mean, he's very sort of unemotional. He's filling his life with things and to constantly feel, like, stimulated by things because he just has nothing going on, really. I mean, he hangs out with his, you know, his actor friends and model types. And as you said already, when we get the pole dancing twins who turn up to his room and put on performances, he often falls asleep to. The two pole dancing twins here played by uh, Christina and Carissa Shannon most noteworthy for being ex-girlfriends of Hugh Hefner. The, you can actually watch the audition footage with Sofia Coppola and the twins um, on the season 6 episode of, um, of the show that they used to do, uh, Girls Next Door, uh, which I really I, has not aged well. It feels really vacuous when you watch it now, but back in the day it was kind of interesting to watch. But I have to say they're not particularly great dancers, it has to be said, and it kind of ties into this sort of world that you can see him having. I mean, he's sort of like got this sort of like bad boy edge to him but at the same time you can tell he's sort of like a good guy uh which is kind of the reason that Stephen Dorff got got cast I mean Coppola said that you know when I'm thinking of this sort of character I mean my mind instantly goes to Stephen Dorff and we've previously seen Stephen Dorff like really work the bad boy angle when we uh when we were discussing Blade 2 back in our second season um because he was obviously the bad guy in in the original Blade mm-hmm. uh playing Deacon Frost and it's kind of weird to see him like go from like such a high energy role to his he's like almost catatonic he doesn't really say or do much you're not sure if he's happy or enjoying his life and certainly when you see him going for like the day-to-day sort of life he sort of like receives a call from his agent he gets in the car he goes to press junkie he takes the photos and he comes back to his hotel it's very mechanical his life that he's going through and to the point where he's like filling his life with so much stimulation just so he's got something going on and the, he keeps going until he like basically collapses so if he he's like falls asleep when he's watching the the girls po dancing he falls asleep while he's going down on his girlfriend it's like all these <laughs> impromptu moments he's just like doted off when he's sort of like overstimulated himself to the point uh where he can sort of like get some sort of calm in his life and it was kind of interesting that that angle to him but they never really sort of explored it further to see why he was the way he was I think it's just it's just a statement about how a lot of these things he feels like it's like, you know, it feels like he thinks it's going to help him. But it it's just he's still not like connected to these events. It's all like, you know, the fact that he needs company and the fact that, you know, he's lonely and that sort of stuff. Because, you know, at the end when he, you know, he opens up to his uh, his his ex-wife about this then, you know, you really see that, you know, that side of him where he is, he does want someone in his life and he does feel his life is 
really empty and and all the things that's going on and it's nice to see that you know it's his daughter and spending time with his daughter that's really changed him to want to make his life a little bit more meaningful and spend his days a little bit more than just you know hooking up with girls and looking at the girl next door and and not having a stable life where you're living in you know a hotel uh, every day and just having someone you know serve you and you know and lack that commitment yeah, I mean, he's basically living this sort of transient lifestyle because he lives in this this hotel room. He's got no sort of like possessions as such. He just has what the hotel room is sort of finished with, and his whole life, as you said, right? I mean, it's just basically you know, drinking and partying and just trying to strive off boredom that he feels between acting gigs. His acting gigs are his only real sort of sense of purpose and. The hotel we're staying at is the uh, Chateau Marmont, which is kind of like a well-known celebrity retreat. And it's actually something Coppola noted as having stayed herself. So if you like watch the uh, making of for this film, she like notes that she would like constantly see like these guys who were like Johnny, like wandering down the hallways and stuff. Just these guys who were like in between acting jobs or, you know, like rock stars or whatever. And they were just like, this was like their sort of sense of normality but they had no real sort of home base as such because they were always constantly on the road and this was like where they would like uh go to sort of chill out but at the same time they they would just try constantly trying to find ways to sort of strive off the boredom so when we get introduced to cleo and as i say it would surprise me the fact that their relationship is so normal you would think that it would be a sort of more awkward relationship especially because she is introduced he's like passed out and with his clothes on in the bed and she like comes in and neither her nor the ex-wife like comments on it at all and it's sort of like oh it's you know just thursday <laughs> but <laughs> this, this is completely normal to come in and find my father like passed out with his clothes on and this, this whole situation but i think it's but it, it, it's like but i mean that's got to be one of the reasons why the ex-wife left him in the first place right it feels like it's insinuating towards something like that, where you know he's just not taking enough responsibility in the in the relationship. To you know the to the point that you know she's fed up with you know she's having a breakdown because she's had a lot to deal with on her end as well, and you know that's why you know she she's like okay, well you take care of Cleo yeah. now, and you know we're kind of like an experience for him at that point where he gets to you know learn to be the father because obviously at the beginning we can see he isn't you know just the fact that you know he's he knows what he should and shouldn't do say you know not you know maybe not hook up with a girl with his daughter next door you know <laughs> but at the same time he knows it's not right because he seems like he resists it but the end he still does it and i think that one of the really like scenes that i liked a lot was the fact that you know they were all sitting there after that the next morning and the and the girl that he the the girl that he that he slept with is just sitting there in a bathrobe at the breakfast table like nothing happened like she's supposed to be there you know and and then the daughter is just looking like Cleo's just looking at him like you're either going to explain this or not kind of thing why is she here you know sort of deal and i loved how Elle fanning um was you know you know the the reaction she did and and just how she treated that situation without saying anything she had 
a lot of command of that scene itself. Oh, definitely. You get the feeling that she doesn't even ask if this girl's going to be sticking around or not. This breakfast is the only time that she's going to see her. Because he knows as soon as... As soon as she goes out the door, then that's it. She's going to be gone from her life. So she's just a, another stranger at breakfast to her. And it, she clearly very clearly grown up in this bubble of celebrity. So these trappings of celebrity don't phase her at all. The fact that her father's a famous actor, it, none of it's like her phasing at all. And she's very much, when she's introduced, she's very much the parent in this relationship as she's shown that she's like clean and she's cooking from and, and she's got her whole, her whole routine like completely down at the hotel she knows that you know if she needs to wants to make omelets and stuff she can phone down to reception and they bring up everything for her and and the the uh bellboys know her who she is as well because they have this rapport uh when they did so like when you see them passing the trays through and stuff so it's kind of like a kind of interesting that she's when we achieve an issue to do, she's more like the parent. And then once the, he joins, starts to set into the father role that she finally gets a chance to sort of be the kid again. And you can see him trying to improve on himself. Like when he comes back from Rome and he finds the girl in his bed waiting for him. And he's, he knows that, uh, he didn't want his daughter to see. So he sends her downstairs to go and get burgers and, uh, where he quickly gets rid of this girl. Uh, which I thought was just the evolution of his character and just him stepping up and being a parent just felt very natural. It wasn't like this one like dramatic event yeah. and then it like suddenly as you often get it's like that dramatic event and then you like snap into being like parent of the year. Um, but I think that that's the that's the charm of Coppola's films, and I think that that's also the hurdle of her films is that. Some people will find this really boring because it's such a natural and gradual thing that you have to experience. There's no big climax. There's no, like, um, crazy, dramatic event that's going to happen. It's going to be something that happens naturally, and the characters develop naturally. And it's normal because it makes sense. A father and daughter's relationship isn't brought together. I'm, I'm sure in some situations it's brought closer or further apart because of some dramatic situation in real life. But, you know, in a normal situation, when your relationship with, say, a father and daughter or a parent and a child, it's always going to be better because, you know, it's always going to get better when you spend more time with them. Or the other way around, you know? But, I, I mean, that's the gradual development of a character. And it feels, and that's why it feels so natural. And, you know... I think going back to to something that I forgot to talk about before when you were saying about, you know, um, Stephen Dorff having that, you know, change from seeing him in Blade and then seeing him in Somewhere. I think that, you know, in Blade as a villain, he, you know, I, I think that he's more a bit crazy, I guess, um, more like physically emotive, uh, physically, you know, acting. Whereas in this one, I really thought that, you know, his, at least for me, I felt that his acting s skills were really there. Because in Blade, I really didn't care much about okay. him. But in this one, you know, you really see that, you know, I think that an actor is at his best when he doesn't talk. And he's able to emote through his, just his facial expressions. And, you know... W you know just doing this without any words any any script and you can still see what the scene is trying to portray and i think that for him i think that was the biggest surprise for me because i went into this being like wow steven dorf i really don't know if i'm 
I'm going to be down with him doing this role. And then it turns out that he did a really good job at being Johnny Marco. Definitely. And it's, as you said, it's really subtle. It's a really subtle performance that he's given here. And we see, especially with his relationship with Cleo, the fact that something switches in his brain very early on through her reintroduction into his life. And he takes to an ice skating lesson. And she's doing her, her ice skates routine to... Um, Gwen Stefani's um, I Know A Cool, I think it is. Uh, which is just a song I absolutely hate. I like Gwen Stefani, but I hate that song. So pretty much having to sit through the whole song uh, was a bit grating. But she's there giving this performance. And normally for, up until this point, he's like constantly like, I've got to have these constant distractions unless I'm working. And when he's watching a performance, you can see he's like initially he's like playing on his phone. He's even distracted and then he slowly starts paying attention to his daughter and he puts his phone down and he's just like transfixed watching his daughter just ice skating and nothing's you know there's nothing else said about it it's just just one of these slice of life moments that sort of pepper throughout the film and there's many moments in, as that um, appear throughout the film that Coppola actually borrows from her own life I mean she grew up the daughter of a famous director Francis uh, Ford Coppola and there's so many moments that she sort of peppers into this film, even though she says it's not an autobiographical film. She still puts in these moments that she remembers from her own life, such as like ordering all the flavors of gelato with her father when they were staying in a hotel in Milan and going on a helicopter ride. And you see these elements appear within the film and they form these really touching father-daughter moments here. And it's kind of nice that you see her giving these sort of like nods to her father because they both speak really warmly about each other i mean she's constantly talks about her father being this wonderful director and how even in this sort of later stage of his career the fact that he still has all these young directors coming and asking him for advice and that you know he should really go off and be like a film school professor and just give advice to actors because and directors because he's just so good at it and in return he's like constantly talked about you know how proud he is of her as a director and the fact that she went off and found her own style and even though he's executive producing a film he's very hands-off he doesn't have any sort of um interference in her films he's just lets her get on with uh with directing and it's very it, it's just sort of uh effects also because you there was a lot of when especially like during Marie Antoinette there was a lot of like rumors floating around that he was like doing a lot of directing on set and He's just like constantly saying, "No, I'm not directing anything." It's uh, there's a very, you can see there's a very key difference between my work and so for years. So it's nice that fact she works in all these own, you know, father daughter moments from her own life. It's uh, it's kind of kind of nice to see, and, and the fact that it, it transfers so well to this film. So yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that one of the things you know, talking about the figure skating scene, um, I really like the fact. I think that it was the first moment. I think that. Cleo really showed him, you know, I think maybe revived a little bit of what or reminded him a little of what having a passion for what you do is because, you know, she's really dedicated to her figure skating and, you know, just getting it right and all that sort of stuff. And I think that that's part of what mesmerized him because it definitely feels like he's just going through the motions as an actor at this point where he doesn't really have that direction and passion anymore for it. 
definitely, you know, losing that passion for life because his work is takes up, you know, most of his time. It's cost him, you know, having uh, a stable life and, you know, settling down in that sense. And that's why, you know, I think the hotel comes into place. And at the same time, you know, that scene also was the first time I realized, I think that, uh, maybe not the first time, but a lot of the music comes into the movie really naturally as, you know, soundtracks, you know, with the twins doing pole dancing or with, you know, um, the figure skating music. And in many different situations, that's, that's there's not a whole lot of other background music than those that are actually in the scene playing for some reason. Yeah. Um, how did you find the fact that here we have Joe Marco, he's obviously an actor, but we never see him on a film set. It's all sort of like the business side that we see him dealing with like he's doing promotion work he's answering questions at a q a session or he as i say he's doing doing photo sessions he's, or we even see have that really long gate scene where he's being fitted for a prosthetic we, we never see as i say we never see him do any sort of acting he's just all sort of like the business side of of things that we see that he attends to but at the same time it makes sense because he's an action star and he broke his arm and he's in recovery so it kind of makes sense that he wasn't working and that was kind of like that perfect set for him at this point where it it's kind of like the moment where when you finally have downtime you really examine your life and how boring it is because if if you didn't, you know, a lot of people, what it is, is, you know, I know I'm like that when, you know, I'm really busy. I'm really happy yeah. with everything. But when you sit, when you call, when you sit down, you know, you start thinking and over examining your life a little. And you, you there's, you know, there's moments where you, you see these things and you become emotionless and you realize, you know, there's a lot of things around that, you know, aren't going as you would like. And you start seeing all these things that maybe you want to improve or, or whatnot. And, you know, some people can fall into a vicious cycle. Okay. Um, something I also wanted to ask as well. I mean, this is with her first three films. They've looked at, you know, feminine self-definition and maturation. And here, this is the first time she switches, to, first of all, to a male perspective. But also is touching upon new themes as we're here looking at idea, uh, ideas and themes about, you know, seclusion and depression. Especially during that sort of mm-hmm. opening 40 minutes. So... I mean, did you? How did you find her moving away from like more familiar themes? Because as you said, with the we said with the first three films, it's always a female perspective, and certainly when we look at the films which follow, they've got heavy uh, female sort of influence. These are majority female casts that that she's dealing with. So here we have a real sort of oddity in her filmography, and the fact that you know we join Marquette, it's her first male uh, leading role character, and. It's a completely new de- set of themes that she seems to be dealing with. So, how did you find her doing something different? I mean, Lost in Translation had a man too. You know, Bill Murray is a man. So, is it his first time? Is it her first time doing a male perspective? I mean, I liked it. I, I, I mean, obviously, I like, I like yeah. this movie, and I, and I actually think you know it's very on par for me with Lost in Translation. I would actually rank it quite oh, up really? there with Lost in Translation. Maybe just. Maybe, like, a little bit lower, because Lost in Translation, you know, it is Bill Murray <laughs> and Scarlett Johansson. So, you, you, there, there's, like, a whole different level of chemistry there. Um, but, you know, I think it worked. Uh, I, I felt like there might have been a lot of stereotypes that was casted onto him, not only, like, as a male actor and a male celebrity, I feel. 
like there's a lot of that whole you know um the angle that she's taking with it but i feel like at the same time it meshes with the story she wants to tell so i don't know if you know from as a female (laughs) talking about this it makes sense i think it's more you know you should answer the question about how you felt about she took her taking the male perspective I mean, I thought it, it comes across very sort of realistic. I mean, certainly the interactions that he, he has and how the initial sort of like uh, sort of cluelessness of his, his situation. Because he doesn't obviously have the natural maternal sort of factor there to to know he's doing. So it's, it's a good thing that obviously Cleo so sort of clued up and that she can look after herself. Because um, I think it would be a pretty tragic movie if, it, if she didn't know how to look after herself and that he was like basically like you know Forrest Gump in his way through this this film and I mean yes you said already with with Lost in Translation we have Bill Murray in the male lead but I mean we still have those same we still have that sort of safety net the safety net with Scarlett Johansson's character that she can obviously explore her sort of familiar themes here she has no such safety net it's as I say it's very much the male perspective she's writing with and I think she writes a very realistic male perspective especially in in how um, the, I, the the father-daughter sort of uh, style of relationship. I mean, just obviously talking from some of our kids, I mean, I don't have daughters, I have sons, so it's a bit hard to say how realistic that sort of interaction is, but it certainly felt, as an audience uh, member, felt very realistic when I was watching the, the on-screen chemistry between um, Cleo and Johnny. And certainly when we go to Rome... Which feels like very much um, like a clean, it, like a polar opposite to life in LA. And life in LA is sort of like very much all sort of celebrity and work. And then when he goes to Rome, he's treated like this, you know, triple A celebrity. He has like police escorts from the airport and he's given like awards and like uh, has people like constantly following him around and he's put up in like the poshest hotels. Which, when you compare it to where he's living in LA, at the uh at the chateau and then we go to rome and he's like in this five season style hotel room where it's got its own private pool with jacuzzi and it's just like these lush beds and stuff and it's like he's living in an art gallery it's so sumptuous the hotel he's in and just how he's uh treated it was like so complete complete opposite and it's sort of like the one time that you get to see johnny as celebrity because he could just be so be like seen as just like you know an average Joe, average guy when we see him like in the hotel life that he's living in L.A. Um, obviously, we get those hints. Obviously, he's got got the uh, celebrity there. The fact that he's got uh, this endless stream of women who want to sleep with him, and including a really bizarre unanswered um this plot thread where he's receiving abusive text messages, but we never find it who from. Uh, yeah, that was what I was gonna ask you. Whether whether we ever know who sent them, I don't know. I I don't know because it's it's hard to say because you would ex- he's constantly got this fear that he's being followed, and him and Cleo yeah. kind of turn it into a in, to kind of like a spy game where she's like taking down the license plates, and I wasn't sure if that's paparazzi, if it's uh, this crazed stalker, this sort of like a jilted lover that's uh, been sending abusive texts. I wasn't sure if it's his ex-wife, but then again. He has phone conversations with ex-wife, and you can tell what sort of relationship they have. So, it's uh, it was kind of frustrating that we never find out the answer to that one. Yeah, because I, I I thought you know maybe it was me. I, I might I might have like you know phased out for a second or something and <laughs> missed it. So okay, so maybe I didn't. It wasn't that crazy? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I do I do like, you know, the point that you made about, you know, the how in Rome and, and all that. But I think I think one of the things I really like about the the movie um is the shots. There's so many still shots and it might be because I just got out of Hobbs and Shaw, which like <laughs> blurred my eyes and my eyes are still adapting back to like things being still. But it was so nice because every single shot, you see things kind of like, you know, even just from the opening shot, right? You have it focused on him driving his car in, in, in a circle, like in laps. And all you see is the sound of his car going away and then it'll go past the screen. And it's like a still shot that goes through many, many parts of the movie, even when he's on the pool and he floats off. And, and I love that whole idea of how those shots are done. Yeah, I wasn't sure how how you would take those those sorts of shots. As you said, it's a very long shot that we see where the camera's just fixed in this stationary position and and we just hear the the sound of the car going round and, and round and you know, this is how this is again the first uh, hint of Joan trying to get some sort of stimulation as he's driving his Ferrari in the in the racetrack. And I mean, I don't personally like that sort of seems but I could say at the same time see people seeing this wow this is really kind of boring and, and pretentious uh, just this this shot and certainly if you've got like a really sort of basic sound system like myself you don't obviously get uh, full appreciation of the, the sound going from one side to the uh, the next which if you've got as if you've got a decent sound system it really comes into its own that particular sequence and stuff so I mean, I, I just like how it was done. I think it's, it's you know, that concept of, you know, just how things are, are, are moving, but you don't have to be moving at that time. You know, it, it's, it's, I feel it's a very, like, in a certain way, it gives you time with that stillness to kind of, you know, really ponder that shot and why it was there and, and you know, the meaning of, of that sort of, I don't, I don't know, that stillness of it. Um, it, it's, you know, it's something that people don't do as much anymore. And it is, and, and it's that artsy side of indie films that, you know, really, really, I really like about that side where people are able to take these moments and, and really elevate it. And, and, you know, it, I think it, it really says a lot about Coppola and just how she's been, you know, how, how she really embraces that kind of, you know, the the art of doing of making something out yeah. of nothing <laughs> it's you know it, it's in her style of her movies and when you think deeper about all her all the stuff we've watched so far and somewhere at the same time you know obviously it 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 definitely you know i that's what i i'm starting to really appreciate you know these different relationships that she puts brings to the screen and these different characters that she builds and develops and every single one has their own story even though you know i'm not a huge fan of marie antoinette but it had its merit at the same time of you know there was no fault in how the character was developed their fault was in the pacing of the movie itself so you know kudos for her to to doing something like that and you know talking about characters this movie had a ton of like cameos <laughs> from actors now though I mean, Benicio del Toro. <laughs> that was oh, that was so good. The when they have the conversation, the left and it's it's so awkward, but it's sort of like they they both have this sort of professional recognition for each other, and uh, he's so cool. Yeah, and then you know we had Ellie Kemper, um, you know, and then uh, I guess something I don't know how popular Michelle Monaghan is, but yeah. I saw her in something else before. 
Uh, yeah, so it's it's nice. I, I th- I'm sure there were other people that I didn't recognize. Well, we have Chris Pontius of Jackass fame who plays his best friend. Okay, right, right. That guy looks familiar. I kept thinking I kept thinking that he was like preying on the daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I had that really. I just would. <laughs> but then I felt like I. But then I felt like he was just kind of like that bridge. Like he was he was the bridge before he grew up, sort of thing. You know, like before you know Johnny Marco grew up, he was. He was very concerned. Like, they were, like, childhood friends. He would, like, kind of really, like, reveal a lot of, you know, his father's youth and, you know, their rebellious days um, to the daughter and really, you know, kind of close that connection of maybe the time that she didn't get to spend with him, she's able to, you know, learn about it through other people. But there's that theory that the age you find fame at is the age you, you remain at. And certainly when you look at Chris Pontius' uh, character, and he, he plays again with Joey Marco, and it, there's something I appreciate about uh, Pontius' characters as Sammy is the fact that he's chatty where Johnny isn't so much. So it really helped to fill in in those moments, and it's certainly something I missed. Yeah, exactly. We've lost in translation. Well, even though we're not going from scene to scene to scene, we have interesting conversations, and I kind of miss that in some ways. It's a lot more about sort of silences, and the conversation is a lot more subtle. So we've kept, we've, when we had Sammy, and you got uh, the there in the hotel room, and uh, he's doing doing art with um, with Cleo while Johnny's playing Guitar Hero, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the he's there asking whether like a ballet instru- a ballet instructor's like a drunk. And the old dance teachers are yeah. drunks, which I thought was really funny. Uh, <laughs> those, I think, as I said, he really helped to sort of fill those those moments and not not make it so much a drag because it's really and towards the end where he, him, and Cleo sort of become more chatting. It really once he, they return from Rome that you see him sort of stepping up to the father role because she's going off to summer camp and it's coming to the end of their sort of time together and you see him like going through what she's going to need for camp and. Uh, he actually yeah. there's this really touching scene where he's like talking about you know do you want me to like smuggle you a snack in you know in case you get hungry and stuff and i was like oh that's so touching it's sort of like the sort of thing my folks would do when i went off to camp and stuff is like trying to smuggle me snacks in, even though we're not supposed to but it's all good <laughs> trading material i'll tell you that much as a former scout <laughs> yeah no i mean the ending was i think as as we get into that scene of her leaving i think that's when you really see um, the connection that he's built with Cleo, um, and and it's a really touching relationship you know, because you know he you know Cleo at this point she hasn't really you know shed a lot of light about her feelings because obviously she might have a lack of trust for Johnny at this point uh, like up to that point you know as a parent she she's been taking care of him more than he has and. You know, as he starts taking care of her more, she has to leave. And I'm, I'm guessing this is only, you know, very few days together. So it, it's to her, it's still, you know, she has her concerns, you know, whether her mom is coming back, you know, where, you know, what's going to happen with her dad and, you know, the things that she's been really insecure about in life that, you know, he might have never really acknowledged until, you know, now when he's becoming a father. So, you know, I think I think one of the the scenes that touched me the most was, you know, in in the helicopter, you know, as she as as she's, you know, going away and he's like, sorry, I haven't been around. And, you know, and it's it's, you know, and she doesn't hear it. The scenes when he's like starting to warm up and we start we see it in like in Rome when he's 
getting the Telgato award. And I love the fact that they're explaining the instructions to him because they know he doesn't speak Italian. So they're basically like giving him cues. It's like, oh, when you hear this name and this name, you've got to stand up and they're going to give you the award. And he gets to the end of his uh, his speech and clearly there's this whole dance routine that comes on that he's not been told about. So he's sort of stood there <laughs> and he's trying to move around it and you see the dancers are trying to improv and he's, he sees how much it's amusing Cleo and he sort of, sort of goes along with it because he knows he's making a laugh and it's it's so touching that, that whole sequence um, just even how random it is the fact that he gets this this cat like cat award for uh, for I think it's like a TV performance or something I wasn't too sure what's going on because it's all yeah, in Italian some, something like that you know when when we get to the ending um because we've already talked about Cleo yeah. leaving now, so I guess we should jump on to the ending. I, I'm i still trying to really figure out the whole idea. You know, obviously he boxed up his life and, you know, he's going to find a place to live and, you know, settle down a little. Which is all fine and dandy. Um, but, you know, and then he, I just don't understand why he, he decided to leave his car in the middle of the road and just walk it's, away. Uh... It, is it... Is it like a sign of him like leaving that, you know, very stimulating, like the fake stimulation life oh, oh, behind it's, or something? Or? It very much felt like um, every cliche gene commercial of like the 90s and stuff. And I think they, they, there was a, um, oh, yeah, there's a Charlie's Throne uh, advert where she's, you know, she's walking down and she's shredding, shedding her jewelry and all this, exp- her gown and all this other thing. And this, this uh, shedding the celebrity skin and becoming a, a normal person, which I don't think he's going to become a normal person. I think he's, he's just like realized what he wants in life. And he's, he's starting over again, which to him means just abandoning his Ferrari in the middle of a field and walking down a country road. But, you know, he seems happy. I don't. You kind yeah. of want to know what happens next, but you know this is the point that uh, that we stop being uh, visitors in this world, and we're just on to the next, the next thing, really. But you know, there's a satisfaction to him doing it at the same time. You know, while I wasn't completely sure why he was doing it, but you know, the fact that you know it, it's nice to see that he's able to you know let go a bit of you know the irresponsible and unstable parts of his life, and really kind of like maybe own up to to the role that he wants to be for his daughter and, you know, the way he wants to live his life. It felt like uh, Coppola had, had felt that she needed an ending and this is the ending we get. Um, whether it's a good ending or not, I don't know. I think it's not... I, I think it's I think it's good. I think that to a certain point, I think that, you know, him driving off into the distance or okay. leaving his car to me would have made no difference. Because a car is a car. It doesn't really, to me, have that much. I think the fact that the the significant part was when he packed up his stuff and was like, okay, well, I'm going to go find somewhere to live and send you the address to where, you know, I need you guys to send me this stuff afterwards. And I think that that was more significant than, you know, that follow-up part about, you know, where he was just like, oh, I'm just going to leave my car and go sort of thing. Um, I just, I, I just, you know... But it's nice because at whatever the ending is, it means that, you know, we see that smile as he's walking away. And the fact that, you know, he's found some sort of happiness and some sort of emotion is the progress that we didn't see, you know, that, that we got from the beginning of the movie till now. And, you know, it, and, and with all of Coppola's films, it's like that. She starts 
you know, with something, and then she ends with something. So she started with the car in the first scene. So she ended with the car in the last scene. And, you know, it, it's in those details, right? Yeah, it's, it all comes full circle in, in that way. Um, you know, a staple of Coppola, I guess. Uh, it's, it's, I think you know, those little things. Right, no, it's right. I think it just, you know, life doesn't always give you the, an ending wrapped up. It's um, Sometimes it, it just, just keeps going. But but that's the thing is but that's the thing is I think that it falls right into you know what we've seen so far because everything is just a slice of life. It's always a few days or a week or whatever. Obviously, Marie Antoinette was much longer, but I mean, like it's always like a phase in someone's life, and that yeah. phase goes on after we're done watching the movie you know when the movie ends this character's life continues we just don't know where it goes and and i think for this one it falls exactly the same way it's exactly like you know lost in translation when you know he goes to the airport and she's walking down the street sort of thing right yeah definitely it's um yeah so you know it's right it's right exactly her uh, like what you'd expect of sophia sophia coppola even if it's a bit mind-boggling sometimes what her (laughs) intentions are uh further watching i don't know about yourself but i've got some random ideas on what you can pair with it uh if i don't know if you want to go first or i can go first what where you want to go uh it's up to you i have two so it's up to you First off, if you uh, do like this, I would recommend uh, checking out Wonder Boys, which is from 2000, uh, which is uh, directed by Curtis Hansom. Um, the film itself, it uh, sees a professor here played by Michael Douglas, who's a professor and he's suffering from writer's block, and at the same time has to deal with um, his star student, who has written his first first play, and... Uh, at the same time, his literary age coming in, him to have written a book, uh, which what follows is a series of bizarre and unusual adventures between the three of them as uh, they find ever new, new, unique ways to cause chaos over a holiday season. Um, it's a film I really, really like, and it's one that I'm probably going to have us revisit, check out at some point. Um, the other two, I would say, on the surface, are probably just wildly different than somewhere but it's that uh, idea of lost souls uh, first up would be the adaptation of brett easton ellis's uh, rules of attraction about uh, very liberal art students and uh, the next one i would also recommend would be gregor Arki's noah um, which is part of his apocalyptic trilogy which uh, featured um doom generation and totally fucked up um and with as well as this uh, film and it uh, basically follows again more lost souls in uh, in the LA basin uh, finding their way as they go through their various uh, day-to-day lives which is of course being Gregoraki heavily full of sex and drugs and other bad behavior but uh, really a channel example of his uh, filmography and worth checking out especially if you're new to the uh, new new queer movement um i definitely think his work is a real sort of a shining example of what the movement was really about so uh but kim what uh, have you got i'm sure you've probably got something a lot more grounded and more connected than i've gone with i i don't know if it's grounded or connected um but i mean the first movie that came to my mind when i was watching this um is on a father-daughter relationship is uh, 2008's uh, Definitely Maybe, 
with uh, it's like a romantic comedy, but it has a lot of elements because you know he's this. It's it's Ryan Reynolds and um, who plays the father, and the daughter is Abigail Breslin, who I love when she was young. Now <laughs> as she's older, she hasn't done really good roles, but like when she was young, she did a, a lot of really good stuff. Um, so I mean, this movie is really fun because it's you know it talks about them. They're bonding over as the daughter learns about his past relationships um, as she tries to, you know, kind of slowly pry to know who who her mom is kind of thing. Um, and at the same time, obviously, you know, he's having this, you know, romantic comedy side where he meets meets a girl and blah, blah, blah. Um, that sort of stuff. So, you know, the, but the father-daughter relationship here is really, you know, it's a light, more lighthearted one than this one, but it, it's a lot of fun. Um, like the dynamic between uh, Ryan Reynolds and Abigail Breslin that they have is is really good. It's really worth seeing. Um, uh, uh, on the other side, I mean, I went a little bit more on um, just, I guess, uh, change and whatnot. So I chose something uh, with Scarlett Johansson <laughs> um, called We Bought a Zoo. And it's 2011. It has uh, Matt Damon, Scarlett Johansson. Um, as, you know, it's about a father who, who moves his family, I think after he loses his wife and wants a change, and he goes and buys himself a zoo <laughs> and tries to renovate and reopen it. Um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of dynamic there. Uh, it's more of a, I believe it's more of a father. Hmm. I think it's like he has two kids in this one. So it, it still has a lot of parenting going on as they're trying to, you know, get into it. And, you know, Scarlett Johansson is kind of like our little link to to the films and Coppola as well. Um, um, now so, you've yeah. also mentioned all these father-daughter relationships. There's one more I want to throw out there, and that would be uh, Kevin Smith's much underrated 2004 film Jersey Girl, uh, which has Ben Affleck, you know, the more talented of the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon Jill. I've already gotten a huge argument over in the Lamb about my comments about Matt Damon, so <laughs> we'll leave that alone. Um, but yeah, Ben Affleck, he he stars as a media publicist who loses his wife, here played at the time by his then-girlfriend Jennifer Lopez, and he's basically gets fired from his, his job as a publicist, and he has to go and work with his father in New Jersey, and he's just basically about him trying to raise his daughter and uh, at the same time sort of deal with life as a single parent as especially as the prospect of regaining his old life as a publicist uh, looms on the horizon um i thought it was a really touchy film it's a very much a departure for kevin smith and i think it's a film that he made not only because of the fact that jason muse his writer man had gone into rehab at the time and uh, but also the fact that having just had the birth of his own daughter um Harley Quinn um it, it felt that he was wanting to do a film about fatherhood much like Coppola's done here with uh with somewhere so I would uh, definitely worth checking out and don't mm -hmm. please don't listen to naysayers you want to dismiss it because it is really quite a touching little film so mm -hmm. yeah that's about all we have to say about somewhere um now for our next film Kim where are we going next we are going to 2013's The Bling Ring. 
Yep, Bling Ring, um, a film which was part of a mini little craze of uh, directors making films based on newspaper articles. Um, here we have a group of students who take it upon themselves to start breaking in and stealing from the homes of famous celebrities. And uh, yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting one to talk about next week. It's her first film that she shot on digital and uh, also a film that had some very misguided hype about Emma Watson winning an Oscar. So uh, I think there's going to be some real fun discussion to be had with that one. In the meantime, make sure you do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us, be it on Anchor or iTunes or Google or Spotify. Um, it really helped raise the profile of the show. Much like if you leave us a rating or leave us uh, some comments, it uh, all helps raise the profile of the show. You can, of course, as well connect with us on the social media which is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out our archives and reviews, as well as the Friday Film Club on our blog, which is uh, moviesandtpodcast.wordpress.com. And uh, as I said, every Friday we post a double feature. I pick a film, Kim picks a film, sometimes a theme, sometimes it's just films we really want to discuss and want you to check out. And that's what we post on a Friday, along with our roundup of all the podcasts and articles that have been sort of catching our attention during the week as well. Until next time, thank you for listening as always. Thank you to Kim. And uh, we will see you next time to talk about The Bling Ring.